You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden. I'm here with Corey Janoff, my co-host. Hey there. And today, we're going to talk about planning, financial planning for kids, kind of the what to expect when you're expecting money edition. And Corey and I have talked a lot about this together and also with clients because we both have kids too. But I think that a lot of the expenses that we think about with kids are more ongoing expenses. Like it's every month, every year for 18 to 24 years, more if you have multiple children. And that's not something you can necessarily like save up for ahead of time. But I do think there's some things that you can consider ahead of time just to make sure that you're set up well for any short-term expenses and and set up well to to try to maintain that budget long-term or, or kind of absorb that spending. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time today talking about this, but number one, like before anything else, you just have to mentally prepare yourself. Like just your life is going to be different in so many ways. So financially, it will be very different, but also it will be really, really, really different personally. And I think my husband and I had a lot of conversations early in our marriage before we had kids where we were like, okay, are we too selfish for kids? Because really, (laughs) like your life changes completely and, and the amount of time that you can spend with each other or even with yourself is just negligible compared to how much time you spend for your children and with your children. And so there's a lot of big changes that happen. We can't necessarily help you prepare for all of those things, but hopefully we can help you be a little better prepared financially. So today we're going to talk a bit about like what insurances you should be thinking about when you're growing the family, um, short-term expenses that you can expect, Um, like planning a budget for when you have a new one in the picture, and then also some basic estate planning things that we want to be thinking about. That's like setting up a will, making sure, you know, someone is there to care for your your little one if you're not around. So without further ado, I think we're going to start on the insurance side of things. You want to kick that off, Corey? Yeah. um, You know, probably starting with health insurance, just kind of knowing what your health insurance covers and do we need to switch health plans, go on another, our spouse's plan or something? Like if it's a two-income household, who's got the better plan for the family to put the kid on? Um, but I think, you know, even before that component, just kind of know what your plan covers. So you know what you're going to spend out of pocket for this whole process. All your checkups, your visits, well checks, the hospital, the delivery, if it's a normal birth or a C-section or you know, if it's an adoption or surrogacy, that's a whole different world. Um, those can start to get more expensive. But like, if you're just doing a normal pregnancy, normal childbirth, normal hospital, like you, you can probably expect to spend at least a few thousand dollars out of pocket, I would guess, because even if you're, you know, hypothetically say your insurance plan has a one thousand dollar deductible. And then, you know, a 20% coinsurance. So, you know, you pay the first $1,000 of the bill 
and then the insurance company steps in, but you still have to pay 20% of it up until you reach your out-of-pocket max. And if your out-of-pocket max is, you know, 8,000 or whatever. So if, if, you're, if your typical childbirth is going to cost 20 to 30 grand at most hospitals, when you add it all up, all right, you, you can start to do the math there. You're, you're going to be on the hook for a few thousand dollars, if not more, potentially. So understanding that, just so there's no big surprises, um, and then comparing your plan, your the different health plans, the cost, the quality of coverage. Like maybe when you were young and healthy, you went with the cheap plan through work, but now that you're you're thinking kids are going to be in the picture, you might consider upgrading to the the fancier health plan. It might cost a little bit more out of pocket, but you don't know what possible um, health you know issues there, there might be for you or, or your child you know hopefully everyone's happy and healthy and, and you have a happy healthy child but you know I know a number of people as I'm sure you all do too that they had kids with with who had some health issues and some of them might not be severe you know I, I know you know one particular family that their, their child had to have like open heart surgery when it was a week old essentially I think like one of the valves was backwards or something, but, um, but even like more benign stuff like eyesight issues, you know, or, or other, uh, other developmental challenges. Um, it, it's, it's more common than you might think. And I think a yeah, totally different topic, but I think people should be more open about all these things, you know, with, with pregnancy, childbirth, the complications. I mean, you know, miscarriages are like a taboo subject, even though they happen all the time, um, yeah, but, uh, um, anyway, so, so there's a chance not to, not to scare you, but there's a chance there could be some things that, 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 that don't go perfectly and, uh, having a health plan that'll hopefully help keep your out-of-pocket costs, um, at a minimum until, you know, maybe that first year and then you kind of know how, what to expect moving forward and could adjust the plan accordingly. But I'd probably encourage you to, to maybe go with the slightly fancier health plan, um, uh, leading into the that that first year with the child but other thoughts there Rochelle yeah well one thing I was thinking is that sometimes like a high deductible health plan can be the least expensive option and maybe the the least fancy option but sometimes they're good you know like maybe you end up paying three or four thousand dollars out of pocket as your deductible but with some high deductible health plans once you cover your deductible there's not a co-insurance payment so if you have to pay a higher deductible, so $4,000 up front, but then you don't have to pay that 20% after the 4000 like that can be awesome. So it's important to look at the details of each of your health insurance plans. If you do have a high deductible health plan, um, you can use like a health savings account most of the time where you put money in, you get a tax deduction, and then you can use that money without paying taxes on it for your deductible for your co-insurance, which can be really helpful. Um, there's also something called a flexible spending account that a lot of employers offer their employees that's it's a little bit more limited because you can put in that same pre-tax money, but if you don't use that money during the calendar year, it just gets reabsorbed by the plan. You don't get that money back. And so that's something to be really careful about. But if you know that you're going to have a baby this year, that that's like a planned thing that's happening and you're pregnant or something like that, then you know you're going to have some costs. And so you can, you know, put money into that plan specifically to use for that cost. So there's there's ways to kind of more efficiently 
pay for these expenses that you know you're going to have. I think one other thing that you can check in on is is with your um, with your provider. Like, do they bill along the way for each appointment? Or do they bill at the end? Because that can make a difference in terms of like what plan year you're actually paying those costs in. And I, I know different providers bill differently for those kinds of things. So lots of stuff just to kind of get as much information as you can so you can make good decisions about which insurance plan to go with. And then the other thing is that even with high deductible health plans, most well child visits and like vaccinations and everything like that, they should be covered. So don't be too concerned about having to pay for all those well-child visits out of pocket. You shouldn't have to do that no matter what your health insurance plan is. It's just the extra stuff like Corey was talking about. If, if something goes wrong, if they need a little extra care, if they're sick, like all of that kind of stuff is where you can potentially see some costs. Yeah. I think uh, touching on the, the flexible spending account and health savings account a little more is probably appropriate. Um so, so many employers offer what's called a flexible spending account where you can put pre-tax dollars in to the account to cover out-of-pocket healthcare expenses. And it's pretty wide. Like you can cover prescriptions at the pharmacy, eyeglasses, sunscreen, like pretty much anything you can buy at a pharmacy will be covered by these uh, flexible spending accounts in addition to any, you know, co-pays, um, deductibles, etc. So again, going back to looking at your health plan at the beginning, knowing what to expect um, along the way for what your out-of-pocket commitment is, then you can say, okay, I know that I'm going to have at least $2,000 of out-of-pocket expenses for this pregnancy. Let's enroll in the flexible spending account and put $2,000 in this year so I can cover that out-of-pocket cost with pre-tax dollars. Now, with the flexible spending account, you typically can only enroll during open enrollment each year, um, which is usually in the fall um, to, to start with the January calendar year. So depending on the timing of your pregnancy um, and if it is planned or not, you, you may or may not uh, be able to, to get on that, for, you know, to line up with, with when those bills are going to occur. But something to consider. And then same with the health savings account. Those are only available with health savings account eligible health insurance plans, typically high deductible health plans. Um, so you got to check with your health insurance if it's a health savings eligible plan. If so, you can put money into that health savings account. And the nice thing about the health savings account, it carries over year over year. So if you don't use the money, it's still in the account and you can actually invest the money in those health savings accounts. Some people almost use them like supplemental retirement accounts. Um, and it's a good way to pay for out-of-pocket healthcare costs. But like Rochelle said, the flexible spending one is a use-it-or-lose-it plan. So you don't want to put in money that you're not going to use that year. I think up to $500 can carry over from one year to the next, but anything beyond that just goes away. So it's like flushing money down the toilet if you don't use it. The other thing on the flexible spending account, so that's the healthcare side of it, there's also dependent care flexible spending accounts. So if you know you're going to have uh, eligible childcare expenses, like through a daycare or, or, or a, a, a qualified or professional nanny, like if you're just paying someone under the table, it's not going to work. But if it's like an eligible expense, um, you can put, I believe, up to 5000 a year of pre-tax dollars into a dependent care flexible spending account that can use to cover some of those childcare costs with pre-tax dollars, which is nice. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a complicated topic with the health insurance, but I think people are pretty good at reviewing those plans and figuring out what they need to do. 
I think another really important one is life insurance. And a lot of times I have clients who are like, well, I have coverage through work. I think I'm fine. And it's like, okay, but your coverage through work is probably not anything close to what we want to be providing to our family if we're not around anymore. And it also is dependent on your employer. So if you leave that employer, you don't have it anymore. If they don't renew that benefit or if they change that benefit for the next plan year, you're subject to all those changes. Costs normally go up every year, like as you age. Um, So there's lots of things that you just can't control about your life insurance through work. So most of the time, it makes sense to have a policy on your own, especially if you're going to have kids. And when you're thinking about the amount that you want to do, it's like, Okay, what do, what do I want to be able to do for my family if I'm not around? It's like, do we want it to be like my income is available for the next 18 years as my kid is getting older? Do I want to make sure college is paid for? Do I want to pay off the mortgage so my partner doesn't have to worry about that? Like there's lots of different things to take into consideration. And normally it's a much bigger dollar amount that you end up landing on than what your work is going to provide for you. So usually what we look at is basic term life insurance. The idea with that is that you secure coverage, you have it for a set period of time. It could be 20 years, it could be 30 years as an example, and that cost is fixed for that period of time. And then at the end of the time period, let's use 20 years as an example, that coverage expires. You don't have it anymore, but you have it while your need is greatest. So you have it while your kids are young in the house, while you don't have a lot of retirement savings, while your mortgage is its biggest, like all of these things. And over the next 20 years, things change a lot. Like you pay down your mortgage, you build up your retirement assets, you're funding college savings maybe for them. So maybe in 20 years, that's done. You know, so your your need changes over time, which is why term life insurance can make a lot of sense for young families. The, the biggest thing is that it's much less expensive than permanent life insurance. So we can use this to kind of satisfy like what our needs are. And then if it expires, it can be okay. The other thing is that some term life insurance policies have the ability to convert them into a permanent life insurance policy later on if you need that coverage to last for longer. So as an example, if your health changes significantly and you just know you're going to need some life insurance beyond that 20-year period of time, you can do that and use the same health rating that you got at the time that you secured the term life insurance policy so that way your insurance can last for longer. And that can be a little bit complicated. Make sure you kind of understand how that looks on your term life insurance policy if that's what you're looking at. But definitely some things to look into. If you are a woman and you are expecting, I would suggest doing this much earlier than later. If complications come up with your pregnancy, it can make it much more difficult to get life insurance. Just as an example, like if you have gestational diabetes, which is not terribly uncommon, like your life insurance carrier is probably not going to offer you coverage until after you have delivered and you have probably like six weeks of follow-up care. And even then, they will likely give you an insurance policy that is more expensive because you have had that in the past, which makes it more likely for that to be an issue in the future. So there's lots of different things that can affect the cost of insurance, lots of different health stuff. The sooner you get it, the less likely you are to have health concerns. So that's a, a big argument for doing it sooner than later if you're planning to have a family. Yeah, we've talked about it before. If you think you might get married, have kids one day, get life insurance. Plan ahead because it's just going to get more challenging to qualify for it and, and more expensive as time goes on. And if, if you wait till it's too late, it might be 
impossible to get. And I think on the life insurance need side of the equation, I'm guessing that the need is probably greater than most of you initially think it might be. Um, mm-hmm. Like, And you'll see here as we continue. And we did an episode on this, I think a couple of years ago, about how expensive kids are. We might need to refurbish it because uh, the cost keeps going up with inflation. But I think uh, now it's it's now estimated that the, the, a middle-income family will spend over $300,000 to raise a kid from zero to 18. Most of you listening are not going to be middle-income families. It's going to be more expensive for you with all the activities <laughs> and you know violin lessons and, and et cetera. Vacations. Vacation, that vacation to Hawaii is more expensive than camping, um, private school, tutoring, things of that nature. And if you're planning to pay for some college, I'm, it's probably going to cost you close to a million dollars per child to get them from birth through college. Um, so if you're saying a million dollars per child, well, if we want to plan for that, like uh, at a minimum, we need at least a million dollars per child on the life insurance side of the equation, not to mention whatever your mortgage, car loan is, if you want to put some money aside for retirement so your spouse doesn't feel pressured to continue working um, later than, than planned. Uh, yeah, we're talking, you know, millions of dollars, like it, it, like upwards of five million isn't a crazy figure for some of you to have for life insurance, especially if we're young family, student loan debt, if they're federal loans, they'll most likely be forgiven upon death. Um, but you're probably not saving as much for retirement as a result of, of paying off those student loans, mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so that need is pretty high when you're early on in your careers if you're, you're expanding the family, for sure. Apparently, we could do an entire episode on insurance planning when you're expecting. <laughs> but I think we're going to touch on two more very briefly, and then we're going to move on to some other things. But one thing to look at is if you are a woman expecting a child, like if you are pregnant, look at short-term disability if you're working. If you have anything through work, kind of build that into the budget. What can you expect to get if you have a you know a vaginal delivery versus cesarean because that can be different like all of those kinds of things um long-term disability is another thing to review for any income earning person in the household like do you have enough coverage to fully protect your income and that's really important too because especially as you start to bring family in and kids into the household you're you're gonna need your income <laughs> so just make sure that it is adequately protected anything else that you think is really important to touch on there Corey? Um, all of you should have disability insurance already if you're listening to this and have been for some time now. So uh, just make sure you got it. And uh, yeah, specifically for women, um, you know, easier to get before you're pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. If you get a policy while you're pregnant, there will 100% be a pregnancy exclusion on that policy where it will not cover complications due to pregnancy or childbirth. So for women specifically, make sure you're getting your disability insurance before you conceive a child because um, otherwise it's, it's a, just automatic. Every single company is going to put a, an exclusion for any pregnancy or childbirth related complications. And usually I think it's for the existing pregnancy. So if you you know have another baby in the future, it's not necessarily for that pregnancy. However, you have to proactively request they remove that exclusion after 
your childbirth because otherwise it'll remain on the policy and and will remain for future pregnancies. So it has to be a successful pregnancy without complications to get it removed and you have to actually request they remove it in order for future pregnancies to be covered. So no guarantees there. Um okay. Next subject is kind of planning out like a few months of just spending and expenses and things like that because it's expensive-ish to bring a child into the world. <laughs> you know, not as expensive as actually caring for that child for 18 years. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's important just to make sure that you have adequate reserves to get through that. So, you know, make sure you have a good sense of what your emergency reserve target is. It should be like three to six months of your bills per month. So like you're just covered. And that ideally is an account you're not touching even during your leave time. And then after that, like other short-term expenses will be things like setting up the nursery, like, you know, getting some basic clothes. The nice thing is that people love buying presents for babies. So make sure you have a baby shower, you know, like look for hand-me-downs, all that kind of stuff. But it, it can be expensive. It can be inexpensive. This really depends on how much you want to spend. Like, I think that is what it comes down to. You can buy the $100 crib at Ikea or you can buy the $2,000 crib at Pottery Barn. They're both going to accomplish the same thing for you. I'm telling you. But <laughs> so, but, you know, make your budget. Like, you get to make that, but just have an idea of what that spending is. Um, I think the other thing is if anyone is taking unpaid time off work for leave, which we don't have great leave policies in this country. Not a lot of people get paid maternity leave or paternity leave. So make sure you pencil in that lack of income for a few months. You know, if you normally take home $10,000 a month and you're going to take two months off and you're not getting paid, that's $20,000 that's not going to be coming in. So that's something to pencil into like your short-term budget. Um, I would also suggest that if you can, you build in a little bit of buffer for extra spending that first few months. So if you have the room to do that, if you have family around that's able to help, like come in and help you with food and like the house and everything like that, that's great. Especially if you don't, like if you can have someone come in and clean the house a couple times a month, if you can, you know, order some pre-made meals from a service or anything like that, that's going to be really helpful. And I think that having a newborn in the house is dramatically different depending on who you are some people are like this is fine i can handle this it's all good don't tell your friends because you're probably in the minority and they're gonna hate your guts for a little bit but generally it can be very challenging to have a newborn and you will feel very tired both of you will be very tired if there are two of you and anything that you can do to just take the load off so you can rest a little bit more is going to be really helpful. So I would I would pencil that into the budget if you're able to do that. Yeah, definitely. I think emotionally it's probably more taxing than financial, but we can we'll keep on the financial lane here and then maybe touch <laughs> on the rest a little later. Um, so yeah, I think the the bringing a child into the world if it's occurs naturally um, isn't that expensive and really the newborn itself isn't terribly expensive you'll get a lot of gifts um, from family and friends to cover some of the initial costs I mean you got you know the crib the stroller those are some big ticket items that you may have to pay out of pocket for uh, but like Rochelle said you can get rather inexpensive ones and hey 
there's used ones out there. Um, hand me downs. What, what's the offer up? Facebook Marketplace. Like you can find. We got a jogging stroller on one of those sites that was used, great condition, for like half the price of a new one. Same with the cribs and everything. Um, so, so there's ways to make it more economical. But I think the biggest thing is if both spouses are working. The child care piece is really gonna be expensive. If you need full time child care, it, it 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 can be pricey. Daycare is a little less expensive than a nanny, um, but it's difficult to find daycares. Like you're gonna need to get on a wait list. Some of them have a year long or greater wait list. Um, so like I would say, the instant you're pregnant, get on a daycare wait list. Um, even if you're not sure if that's the route you're gonna go, at least you got a spot reserved. Um, and some of them kind of line things up with the school year. So maybe it's like a September enrollment type of thing. So, so really look into that um, if you can ahead of time, even before getting pregnant. So you can try and identify that, that childcare piece of the equation. And uh, the nanny obviously is going to be a pricier one. If you do a nanny share, like if you don't need it five days a week, you could maybe you know share with another family if you can work that out. Um, I guess from a, ethical compliance perspective, keep it above board, either go through a nanny service or set up a payroll system and, and, you know, pay the appropriate employment taxes and all that good jazz. And there's companies out there that can help you with that stuff to make it kosher and, uh, and compliant with the IRS. So if you ever get audited, they're, uh, they're not slapping you for, for skipping out on payroll taxes for your nanny. But, um, yeah, so childcare in the early years is a big expense, um, and then there's just little stuff like the diapers and the clothes and the baby formula. They go through shoes like you're gonna like it's nobody's business. They outgrow stuff very fast, um, and then I think like Rochelle said, you can expect these costs to continue into the future because the childcare expenses, you know, once they get into school, if they're doing public school, those just get replaced by activity expenses, like the swimming lessons and the sports stuff. Like, I mean, I think I was just doing the math in my head. Like, I think we paid probably a thousand dollars this summer for swimming lessons for our kids. Like it adds up. So, Mm -hmm. um, like it's kind of never ending things break like there's a hole in the wall in our house that we need to get fixed because our three-year-old slammed the door backwards and it pushed the the door stopper into the wall so uh, it's never ending it's never ending (laughs) our six-year-old fed our dog grapes and grape (laughs) dogs aren't supposed to have grapes and then we had a thousands of dollars vet bill and that that's totally because we had a kid that is not because we have a dog. <laughs> I mean, maybe obviously we needed both of those things in order for that to happen, but there is always something. There is always something. <laughs> okay, I think one other thing in terms of budgeting that you'll want to think about long term is college savings. And this is something to sit down with your partner and talk about. You know, like what are our goals? Like what do we want to be able to do for them? Um, is it public? college? Is it private college? Do we want to be able to help them by paying half the cost? Do we want to be able to pay for it all? Do we want them to have some incentive to get scholarships and, you know, like not pay for it all? Like there's a lot of different ways that you can approach that. So, you know, if you can't agree exactly, that's fine. Compromise. Like you find some sort of middle ground and shoot for that. Um, And then, 
you know, that can be something that you set up as a monthly contribution and it can just be worked into your monthly budget. And we've done other um, podcasts, I think, on this, on like college savings and things like that. If we haven't, we will, I promise. But probably a 529 plan is a good place to start. If you can't start right now funding it at the level that you'd like to do, you can increase it later. So I, I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourselves to do that. But definitely just have a number in mind. And it's going to be more than you think it is. Like college is very expensive. If you expect that you can, you know, save $20,000 and be done, you're wrong. Like it's it's a lot. It's probably more than you think. So that's something to definitely sit down, think about, do the math on. And on that one, like the college is a flexible goal and, and totally discretionary and up to you if you want to pay for college. Um, don't just do it because your friends are doing it. You know, it's kind of your values, your goals, your objectives. Like, do we want to pay for college? If so, how much? All of it? Some of it? Half of it? In-state public school? Private school? Like, where do we draw the line? Do we pay for med school, grad school as well? Um, Totally up to you, but I would make sure we're not neglecting your own retirement savings because, I mean, you could spend an endless amount of money to make sure your your kids are taken care of and life for them is set up to be peachy and, and as successful as you can try and make it for them um, at the detriment to your own personal financial plan. So you still got to save for retirement. Fortunately, there's numerous ways to pay for higher education, um, but there's really only one way to pay for retirement, and that's to save your own money. Um, the days of the, the pension plans where you work for a company or a city or state for, for your entire career and then they pay for your entire retirement in full are, are, are long gone. You know, you might be fortunate enough to be at an employer that offers some sort of pension, but it's probably only going to replace a small fraction of your earnings when you're actually in retirement. So you pretty much have to save it all up for yourself. Um, so, so I wouldn't neglect your own retirement savings uh, completely to, to pay for your kids. Uh, make sure you're at least funding on a baseline level. It's like, yeah, in a perfect world, I want to retire at 50 or 55, but if I have to, I'll work till 65. Okay, let's make sure we're at least saving enough so we can retire by 65 if possible. Um, and then if, you know, if all the other things line up, we could save more and retire sooner. But, um, but yeah, totally up to you on the college front. Yeah, I don't think your kids are going to thank you if you like do all of these things for them and put them through private school and then, you know, put them to Harvard, like wherever it is. And then, you know, you're working at 70 because you can't afford to retire. Like that's not going to make them feel good. (laughs) Not at all. So I think you definitely have to take care of yourself in that way, because like Corey said, there's not other sources of funding for retirement. There is for college. And I'm all for saving for college. Like, I want to try and pay for as much of my kids' college as possible, assuming they go to college. Um, but, you know, it's I'm also making sure I'm saving enough for retirement so that, you know, I can stop working one day. Absolutely. So those are like the big budget items. I think childcare and college savings are probably the biggest ones. And then there's little miscellaneous things. Um, but they don't add up to a ton. You can always spend a lot of money if you want to, but you don't necessarily have to on on stuff. 
Um, I think the one other thing that we wanted to touch on today is just some basic estate planning things that are important to think about when you're expecting. One is just setting up a basic will and making sure that within that you are determining who will take care of the little one if the parents aren't around. Because you don't necessarily want the state making that decision for you. You want to be making that decision. And that's a really, really important one. And that's that's the tool that you use to do that. So a lot of people think about a will as like, okay, this is where I tell like where I want my stuff to go or something. Like my couch goes to my brother or like whatever. That's That's maybe a very small portion of what a will can do for you. But there's lots of other things in there that I think are really important. Um, you can also potentially set up a trust. So it can be a trust that's set up now. It can be a trust that kind of comes into being if you are to pass away. Like there's lots of different ways to structure those and that's something to talk to an attorney about. But that can be very helpful because one thing to keep in mind with life insurance is that if you have a life insurance policy, a lot of times you'll have your spouse or partner as the primary beneficiary and then you can set up a contingent beneficiary, which is the person that will receive that life insurance benefit if you're not, if you pass away, but also your spouse has passed or your partner has passed. Um, if you put in a minor as a beneficiary on your life insurance policy, like your little one directly, they will not get that money directly. It will go into a trust for them. So the life insurance company can't give a three-year-old $2 million of life insurance money. They cannot do that. And so it will go into a trust, but you don't necessarily have a whole lot of control about like what happens with that trust. There's just some basic rules about how that will be administered. Whereas if you set up your own trust and you know have your life insurance proceeds go into that trust if both of you are not around or something like that, you get to determine what happens with that money. And that's probably the biggest thing with a, a trust that you can do is that you can write in very specific things like I want this amount of money to be earmarked for a car when they're 16 or I want to make sure that they have this amount of money at age 18 but I don't want them to have it all. You know, I want to make sure that some of that money is retained for them when they're older. And so I'd like this amount of money to be released at this age or this specific dollar amount earmarked for college. So there's there's lots of things that you can build in to make sure that that money is used for them in a way that makes sense for you and your values. So it really just depends on what you want to do. But it, that's something I'd encourage you to at least discuss with an attorney if you do have kids, if you have large life insurance policies, anything like that. Yeah, everyone should have an estate plan. I think just to, from a physician's perspective, like one of the big things that's in there is advanced directives, powers of attorney. If you're incapacitated, you're brought into the ER one day, who's authorized to make decisions on your behalf? Like, are we keeping the feeding tube in or pulling the plugs? Are we donating the organs? Like, what's what's the game plan here? Who Who's in charge? And then having that in a written formal document um can one make it easier to for the treating physicians to know what the plan is and who they can take instruction from and two help mitigate some of the fighting between family members in that very emotional time um you know so even without kids or without being married having an estate plan can be important but but obviously the once you do have a family, the, the stakes are higher. Who, and the biggest things, I think, in my opinion, are who's going to care for your child? Have it written down in a formal legal 
estate plan so that family members aren't fighting over what they thought you would have wanted and so it can be expedited more efficiently and mitigate the costs through probate court um and then who's in charge of handling the money and how do you want it to be handled and unless you have all of those things detailed in that estate plan the state that you live in makes those decisions for you and it goes through a lengthy and costly court process called probate court i mean it could potentially be a couple years before things get sorted out attorneys make a lot of money in probate court and especially if there's disagreements amongst your family members on what they wanted to happen um it can get costly and it's absolutely imperative if if you've got children from multiple relationships or or, or marriages like you, you need to have an estate plan to really specify and spell things out um how it's gonna how you want things to be handled so um yeah don't don't skip on the uh, on the estate plan it's probably one of the most if not the most overlooked pieces of financial planning and one where people drag their feet and put off um for sometimes too long so Mm -hmm. get it done it's morbid no one wants to talk about it but it's important yeah yeah you're literally planning your death it's not fun (laughs) but you're doing it for your children's sake not for your sake Mm -hmm. you're trying to make their lives easier and less costly so that they actually inherit more of the money and it doesn't go to attorney fees Absolutely. And that's so with beneficiaries and things like that, I think it's important to review those every once in a while, too. So even if you don't have kids, this is a similar thing. Like maybe you set up your beneficiaries on your 401k five years ago and you weren't with your current partner and you put your mom down and you don't that's not what you would want right now. It doesn't matter if that's not what you would want right now. If that's what's on there, that's what it is. So review your beneficiaries on your retirement accounts, any investment accounts, um, any insurance policies, all of that kind of stuff. So that's a good thing just to review once in a while. But I think that's probably it on the estate planning side of things. It's, you know, when we're thinking about planning for kids, it's reviewing the insurances, it's talking about the money, the short-term expenses, everything that you can expect before you have the baby, when the baby comes, looking at your budget, trying to figure out, okay, does this work? Do we need to make some adjustments? Where can we make those adjustments? And then getting those basic estate planning documents in place. And then, like Corey said, let's not neglect our personal financial goals just because we have a kid. You know, like it's going to – your world is going to revolve around them. (laughs) Like it absolutely will. But just make sure that you are also both financially and in other ways leaving some space for yourself and for your goals too, which sounds – easier said than done i'm sure it is very much easier said than done and <laughs> yeah no secret if you need to pay for child care it's definitely more expensive than not having children um, but something that you can kind of plan out ahead of time to some degree like if you know you want to have kids eventually all right we know we're going to be spending call it a couple thousand a month on child care per child So maybe, you know, in the year or two leading up to when you want to have children, we start putting an extra couple thousand a month in a brokerage account just so we're used to that expense. So that way, once the kid arrives, we've kind of already built it in and then we can just direct it 
to the child care instead. So kind of oversave, if you will, in that investment account. Um, but some of those costs, at least in the early years, like if you have a newborn, like some of your other expenses are going to go way down. You, the childcare costs could be to some degree offset by travel, dining out, entertainment, like Netflix and a bowl of popcorn is your new date night. You're, you're not getting dressed up and going out on the town. Like you won't even have the energy to do it. So th- there are some aspects of having children that are less expensive, um, the fine dining isn't a thing. It's takeout from Chipotle. Um, so, so that helps <laughs> to some degree. Um, but, but I think the last thought I would say is, is you know, we've talked a lot about the finances, but honestly, I think it, it can probably be, for many people, more emotionally taxing than financially taxing. Um, and, and yeah, having children, it's wonderful. It's amazing. Like, there's nothing like it. Wouldn't change it for the world don't get me wrong but i mean your sleep takes a hit your relationship with your spouse takes a hit your relationship with your friends your family members yourself your hobbies like you can throw a lot of that stuff out the window to you know hopefully not completely but it's definitely limited like rochelle said like the time you have for all those things is greatly diminished and you know, you, you got to try as best you can to still take care of yourself and your relationship with your partner um, as best you can, but just come to grips and accept the fact that you are now a lot less important and you're going to have a lot less time to do the things you want to do for yourself. Um, so just learn to be accepting of that and content with that and then permission granted to, to have kids. But if you know, like you were saying at the beginning, Rochelle, you and Nick talked about how, like, are we too selfish to have children? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, <laughs> it, it, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like, if I could clone myself, I'll keep, you know, one Corey in this raise a family lane and the other one, like, let's just be single and selfish and travel and play golf and basketball and, you know, ski and like, you know, do all the fun things that I'd want to do, watch football all day on Sunday without being interrupted. Um, like, I don't get to do that anymore. So it's, uh, like I said, don't get me wrong, having kids is great. I, I wouldn't change it for the world. But every once in a while, there, there's a Sunday that rolls around. I'm like, can I just sit down for, like, 20 minutes, let alone three hours, and watch the damn game? It, it's uh, It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> No, especially when you have two. There's a reason we only have one, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so it's no. uh, it, it is awesome seeing those little things uh, you know, grow up and uh, it, the time flies, take a lot of pictures. Um, and it is amazing. But yeah, you're uh, brace yourselves. Your world's getting rocked. Yeah, I was reading the other day. I can't even remember where it was, but it was someone talking about how like everyone talks about you how you don't have enough time to do this and that and that. But really, you do have enough time to do whatever it is that you prioritize. And I think a lot of times when we have young families, we prioritize our kids. You just like it kind of happens naturally. But, you know, you you can prioritize, you know, 10 minutes for yourself. Like whatever it is. Like, you know, dad or mom or or whoever can field for you for a short amount of time at least so that you can do something on your own and you know it's just such a big learning curve when it's new so 
whoever you are out there that's listening, like, you got this. Like, it might take a little while to adjust, but, like, you'll find some balance at some point. It just, it takes some time. Yeah, leave the dirty dishes in the sink, go for a run. Like, it's, you know... Yeah, I think that's the other thing is that I think society puts a lot of pressure on us to do certain things, and sometimes you just have to say no. Like, like, especially for moms, I feel like it's like, okay, you're supposed to write thank you notes. Is that what you want to do with your time? (laughs) Like, do you want to write thank you notes with your time? And maybe you do, and maybe that's a priority for you, but if it's not, don't do it. Don't plan elaborate birthday parties every year if you don't want to spend time on that. Like there's lots of choices you can make where it's like if this isn't the thing that I want to do with my time and this isn't what I value, then don't do it. Done. Again, easier said than done probably. I agree. Yeah. Well. Well, good luck, everyone. Yes, good luck for those of you that are – I'm guessing most of the people listening to this don't have children – yet or they're thinking of having kids or maybe they just love hearing our voices every two weeks in their ears and but um but yeah probably that i hope you hope you picked up a a few nuggets of wisdom here and for those of you expecting yeah good luck congratulations see you next time we would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover you can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance, or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group LLC.